Hello, Charles Lego here. I'm the executive director of the California Capital Film Office in Rancho Cordova. And before we start, I would just like to take a moment. After months of hard work and even some electronic work and tears, I can finally say we're ready to launch the Rancho Cordova All-American City podcast. We're very excited about this podcast that will give us a weekly look at all things Rancho. We will speak to policymakers, local business leaders, and business owners, and take a look at the many events Rancho hosts every year, and even share the lives of you, the residents of Rancho Cordova. So we hope you enjoy these weekly podcasts, and please don't forget to follow us and like us, and please tell all your friends. Thank you, and enjoy the shows. So when the Iran-Iraq war happened, were you afraid that maybe they had entangled in that war? Of course, yeah. of course, of course they did. Another heartbreaking thing that happened during that time, um, uh, a very dear sister, my, uh, my older sister, uh, who, she and I were extremely close. Uh, with the turmoil, with the, with the chaos of the war and the revolution and everything, uh, she uh, uh, she was in in a car accident yeah. and she died. From the offices of the California Capitol Film Office, we bring you the Rancho Cordova All American City Podcast, a podcast that brings you all things Rancho Cordova. We get up close and personal with Meet City Hall segment, where we talk in depth with the hardworking individuals who make the city tick as well as the city leaders who make critical decisions that affect everyone in the community. We meet business leaders and business owners, getting insight into the economic health of the city and take an in-depth look at the many year-round events brought to you by Cordova Community Council, many of them free. Join us for our weekly look at Rancho Cordova, the all-American city. This week, we speak to Saris Apar, the city manager. My name is Cyrus Abhar. I was born in uh, the city of Shiraz in southwest Iran. Uh, just put a little reference to it. Uh, uh, Shiraz is about uh, 50 miles from uh, the ancient capital of Persia, Persepolis. So, wow. so that's, that's the area that I grew up in. And uh, uh, Persepolis was uh, one of uh, our stomping grounds, you know, a place that we would go on the weekends. We would go see it. And, uh, and I grew up in Shiraz. So uh, my elementary school, my uh, middle and high school, it was all in Shiraz. And, uh, and I grew up in, right. in that city. And, and I think the rich history, the culture, the very, very ancient culture of the city uh, played a big role in shaping who I am today and, and, and the perspective that I have on life and on history today. So tell us a little about your parents. Who were they? What did they do? So um, I came from a very humble family. We, uh, my father was a civil servant um, and a large family. I, uh, three brothers and three sisters, a seven-member seven family. I'm uh, uh, youngest uh, to the last. I mean, uh, 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 next. You're, you're uh, the youngest. <laughs> not the youngest. No. I have one younger brother, oh, okay. but uh, but uh, second the, youngest. The, the second yeah. youngest, the sixth, uh, the sixth child, and um, you know, one of uh, one of the 
early experiences that I have as I was growing up. Uh, my, as f- we lost our father uh, when I about a month from my twelfth birthday. Okay. So I was about um, twelve years old uh, when my father died of an illness uh, very suddenly, and um, and then it that experience was life changing in so many ways, and. In our case, uh, you know, you can imagine the struggles of a single mother who's now raising seven children, uh, old and young and different ages. And, uh, and it was a very difficult and challenging time, but at the same time, I think it was something that galvanized our family, brought us together. It's uh, my mother uh, who passed away in, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, she lived a full life, and she uh, never married again. Um, and she dedicated her entire life to to her children, to her family. Uh, so the brothers and sisters, we banded together. We helped and supported each other. And I think with that community, that sense of community with uh, my siblings, my mother, who really was a pillar in my life, and us working together and, and do the extended family uh, really just gave me that strong sense that for us to be successful, for us to be able to uh, go somewhere in our lives, that we need the help and support of our families and our friends and our community. I read that you always wanted to come to America, and you're quoted as saying that America represented a lifelong dream of yours and that you always had a fascination with it. Is it true that you clip pictures and stories from books in newspapers, magazines when you were 10 and 12, and you created a notebook of all the U.S. presidents? Is that true? And if so, tell us a little about that. Yes, yes, that is is very true. I I did have that fascination. I think the the history of America as as a young country and uh, young country compared to Iran compared sure. to Iran yeah. of course right you know the yeah. the and, uh, and the accomplishments and the democracy and the ideals that um, America represented was not only fascinating for me it was uh, uh, it, it was being viewed by many people of my generation and my age as a beacon of hope you know something that uh, we could aspire to we could become uh, uh, you know, someday, someday we could become something like like that nation. So I remember, you know, I started uh, my studying and reading, going to the public library, going to uh, uh, used uh, bookstores, uh, going to even even some places. You know, I would go places where, where they would dump some of the old newspapers or magazines, and I would look for pictures. and uh, And I created with my own handwriting. Uh, you uh, are basically starting dedicating a page of a notebook to each American president. Wow! And uh, and I started writing about them. You know, just uh, what I had read, and and uh, what and I was of course missing many pictures. I was right. missing <laughs> many right, stories, right. Yeah. but I left them blank. So right. looking looking for the ideal time uh, to to get that information. So this was uh, really uh, a lifelong dream for me. You know, it, and I would. Uh, I remember going to uh, uh, my sister at, uh, got married, my older sister got married, and, and she moved to a city uh, close to the Persian Gulf, on the coast of the Persian Gulf. And I remember uh, one time I went to visit her, and I went by the coast, I went by the beach, and I, I watched a ship that 
was uh, was leaving uh, with a, a big cargo ship. And I remember I'm, as I'm walking around as a young child, I asked uh, one of the workers, I said, where is this ship going? And, uh, and he said, oh, we're going to have different stops, but we're going to end in New York. Wow. And I'm just saying, oh. and I and that, I was on that. <laughs> you know, that, that my immediate thought right. was, you know, do you have a place for me? Right, I can, right, right. I can clean you could have stowed away. Right, yeah. Exactly, stowed away. And, and so, so that was almost like a, uh, a dream for me, that would it come true someday. Right. And you eventually did come to America in 1977. That is correct. And you came at a time when Iran was in a state of political turmoil. Um, how was that decision made that you would come to America? So um, when I graduated from high school, um, you know, there is a in the universities in Iran are uh, based on an entrance exam. And uh, I passed the exam, and, uh, and you also have to choose the degree that, you know, and the university you want to go to. And I remember receiving, and, and then they would publish that in the newspaper, you know, what, what it is. So I remember anxiously waiting for the, for the news, uh, because only a small percentage of the students will, will pass that exam. And seeing my name and that I was uh, accepted to the University of Tehran uh, as in physics major. And the excitement, you know, the, the joy, I remember crying, you know, on the way as I, I ran all the way. I went to, uh, to, to the store to, uh, to buy the newspaper the day that it was published. And I ran all the way to give the news to my mother and to my, my uh, family. And uh, so it was just a, a great sense of accomplishment but at the same time you know i um, i felt like well would it help me i mean what would it take for me to do the same thing in america you know just i'm thinking about right. this but but it was almost out of the question right. because i couldn't afford it you right. know, the family didn't have the means to send me to america um and i went and i prepared to go to, uh, to start the uh, my college my university in tehran and my older brother, uh, who is four years older than I am, he was in university, actually. He was in his junior year, and he said uh, he knew what my dream was. He said, Cyrus, pursue your dream. This is not, you know, this is, uh, I'm sure you will do fine. Um, we will get, you know, we will help you to get just enough to put you on a plane and give you a little bit, and I'm sure you can make it. So he was. It was his encouragement, wow. and uh, it was his uh, encouragement. And he also said, you know, uh, to be honest with you, that's also my dream. Maybe you go there, and maybe someday yeah, he'll you, you follow. Can, fo I, I right. will follow. He right. never did. He never did. He's still. He's still back. So the you came alone at the, for the first time. I came alone. And how uh, old were you? Uh, I was. Uh, I had just turned nineteen years old. Nineteen. So yeah, as uh, nineteen. A very impressionable old. age. <laughs> a very impressionable yeah. age. Very young age, and I um, first from from my family, and even from my extended family that had ever left. First know. time away. First time away. So it's a very brave thing to do, especially it was, coming from a tight knit Persian family. Absolutely. Where did you land? So. Uh, um, I had a high school friend who uh, had moved to Texas, well, had, had actually left Iran to go visit his, uh, or be with his brother in Texas. 
So my goal was I want to go, I want to go to Texas. And uh, so I took the plane. They put me on the plane. I spoke very little English and uh, uh, very uh, in broken, broken English and uh, had just enough money to sustain me for a few months uh, uh, with two luggages. And I remember uh, landing in uh, JFK in New York uh, with, the, with the plane, and then I was supposed to uh, uh, change planes and, and take a plane from New York to Houston. Uh, and my friend was going to pick me up. Uh, so, uh, so just to make you know, to make the story short, you know, just that whole process of changing plays, not knowing what's going on and what you know what to do, it was just an interesting experience. Uh, but I got on the plane. My friend, my friend, met me in Houston, and uh, hosted me at their home for a few days. And then uh, the university that I had received. Uh, admittance to for uh, to learn English and this is I want to um, you know the the process was that I have received um, um, uh, basically admittance into uh, LSU in Baton Rouge Louisiana so I I, ju- uh, I jumped on a Greyhound bus went from uh, a small city near Houston where my friend and his uh, brother lived and took the took the bus and went to Baton wow. Rouge. To Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So that was definitely an adventure. I mean, at nineteen, you fly from Tehran right, yeah. to New York, right, New York yeah. to Houston. Yeah, yeah then you get a bus and you go to Louisiana. Absolutely, wow. absolutely right. Yeah, that must have been. Uh, it was, and it was uh, not. It was not only exciting but terrifying. Yeah, too. absolutely. Because I have terrifying. read that you were unprepared of how you'd be treated which you thought was maybe a little naive on your part. You were a person of color mm-hmm. from a country in conflict with America. How did you deal with that? Very hard, very difficult, because, uh, and, and in some ways, even heartbreaking, Charles, because uh, I had this deep love for America. I had uh, this amazing, amazing passion for the people and the culture and the history of America. And I had come here, and uh, and not you know when I, where I grew up, uh, everybody was like me. You know, I I didn't make a distinction right. between you know what color skin I have or what you know right. what what's the color of my hair. Uh, but I I immediately realized that I'm not the same as the rest of the people or many people around me, and uh, and I think you know as I also and I have to be very fair because. Uh, uh, in this journey, I had so many wonderful friends who uh, I friendships that I developed, people that I became friends with, whether it was in Louisiana or Texas, and we're still friends to this day. But I also uh, encountered some uh, yeah. uh, some very unfriendly behavior sure. just because of uh, the political turmoil right. that was going on in Iran, because of because of who I am, because of the. You know, my color, the color of my skin. So, and those instances were quite painful right. and uh, and and hard. You know, so on, a, on a young, on a very young person. I'm sure. Yeah. What administration would that have been? Well, at the time that I came, it was uh, the Carter administration. Carter. Yeah. J- J- okay. Jimmy so Car- that was Jimmy Carter the... was the president, right? So that was before the whole hostage right, embassy right, thing. Right. That was at the end of his administration. That is correct. So and I would imagine that when that happened. Just like you know, today mm-hmm. with Asians and then the Japanese, it must have been 
Harbin from Iran when the whole thing was going on in the embassy for as long as it did. That is that is so true because uh, you know actually when I left Iran, um, the political turmoil had not started no. at all. Right. I mean the you know, the the Iranian revolution happened relatively quickly. Right. And uh, and when I left uh, when I left Iran, uh, it was relative calm and right. peace. Yeah. But shortly after that, the the country was engulfed in turmoil. Right. And um, and uh, and then the hostage crisis. There was the change of government. Right. The, the fanatics, Islamic uh, fanatics, came to power, and then the hostage crisis occurred. And I think that was that created just uh, probably one of the most. Uh, uh, stressful times for in the lives of many people, and especially for the you know a young person right. uh, of Persian descent sure. uh, living in. I in, could in, definitely in, understand. In, yes, and had your family followed you yet, or not yet? No, no, no my you were uh, here. No, in fact, you know, just uh, uh, it would not be. Um, uh, I would not see my family for another twenty-eight years. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, you know the, what what happened. Um, um, I eventually, after after a short stay in Louisiana, I moved to Texas. I was uh, I and I ended up in Austin, Texas, where that's where I, the university I chose to to attend. And um, and in 1985, um, one of my youngest brother, my youngest brother, uh, fled Iran uh, because of all the turmoil and the the. Uh, the conflict that was going on, and he ended up crossing the border into Pakistan, and and uh, after about a month, a year and a half of uh, working with the United Nations, uh, the refugee o- office, I was able to get him a visa to come to America. Okay. So you went to um, the University of Austin. Yes, University of Texas. Texas at, in Austin. In Austin, yeah. right? Austin, right? And what was college like for you? Uh, college was. Uh, uh, you know, I've always have loved science and yeah. engineering. Right. I loved, you know, from the young age, I tinkered with things, I worked with things. So so I, I just have this deep passion for learning. Uh, so I remember um, sitting down and, uh, you know, reading about science, reading, you know. And, and so for me now to be in a great university, uh, studying the field that I love to study, engineering, uh, was fascinating. Yeah. So, so the academic side was wonderful, Good. was great. Uh, but you know, you can imagine because this was uh, in late seventies, uh, early eighties, and uh, but in the midst of the hostage crisis, in the midst of the the turmoil, the Iran Iraq war had started. I had lost contact with the family. So there was you know these two aspects of life right. that you know. I'm trying to focus on something I love and study, and on the other side, I see this whole turmoil going on right. in my own country. And it wasn't like today that you could get on the Facebook no. or have a cell phone. Right. Uh, it, you know, I would go for months, many, many months, without really? hearing a word from my family and wondering what is going on. And prior to coming here, you were a close family? Extremely close yeah. family, yeah. So when the Iran-Iraq war happened, were you afraid that maybe they had entangled in that war? Of course, yeah. of course, of course they did. And uh, and then I think, you know, this is uh, uh, an, another heartbreaking thing that happened during that time. Um, uh, a very dear sister, my, uh, my older sister, uh, 
who she and I were extremely close. Uh, with the turmoil, with the with the chaos of the war and the revolution, and everything, uh, she um, uh, she was in in a car accident yeah. and she died. Yeah. And it took many many months before the news could even reach. Me. Wow. Yeah. So, so I remember. I remember. This is uh, you know as I'm going through this whole experience of trying to you know support myself working two or three jobs trying to go to school trying to manage you know the emotional stress of you know knowing about the family what is going on what is happening and then someday receiving a letter right that that months ago many many months ago right. that your sister that must be tough your, your sister passed very away. tough which quite frankly makes your accomplishments today even more remarkable to be honest thank you so, um, what kind of jobs did you have when you were doing college? You said you were working two or three jobs. Yes. Was it McDonald's? Was it the gas station? What kind of jobs? Well, I uh, I worked in a pizza place, yeah. uh, and I remember becoming a very, very great dough maker. Yeah, so accomplished a pizza. Yeah, I, I, quite an accomplishment. I would make the dough at night, and uh, I, you know, the working in a restaurant in a pizza place. Uh, we would prepare the dough at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, set it out there so that the lunch crew could make, make pizza yeah. at lunchtime. Uh, so it was very late night, and I chose the late night shift because uh, I wanted to be able to go get up early and go to school, and then and then be able to come back to it. I also, you know, was fortunate to. Uh, at the same time, uh, find uh, because of my passion for the library and the books, and you know, the, the just trying to be uh, able to keep up with my schooling, um, I would go to the library, and the librarian who worked at the library said, "Oh, you're here all the time. Uh, um, would you like a few hours to work at the library wow. at, the, at the university?" So, so I I did that. So. Uh, so I would go there and basically kill two birds with one stone. Wow. I would I would check out books as I'm sitting there and uh, studying for my classes, uh, uh, and then I'd be prepared, rest a little bit, not not sleep, but rest a little bit so I can go to my pizza my pizza shop wow. afterwards. Yeah. So you were on the go all I was, the time. Yeah, all the time, and you know, and I I remember on the weekends I would take on a paint project with a with an apartment complex and yeah. say, you know, can you can, you know, give me a job that I can paint your apartment. You know, right. as they had a quite a bit of turnover right. being a university right. town, they had a quite a bit of turnover. So I would uh, go into an apartment uh, on a Saturday morning and will paint it, paint it entirely, repaint it uh, by Sunday afternoon. Wow! And I would get a you know just so like, that's hot. It was hot. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is what I you know I felt I needed to do sure. to. Uh, to to, to succeed to, to, to yeah. survive in so many ways so given that you left your family at such a young age you lost your father young who was who, young men in particular need that sort of father figure they need the male strength who was who, how did you get through that like who was your sort of strength uh, two people two yeah. people that I really uh, I'm forever grateful to one is my oldest brother he is uh, 16 years older than I am, and he now lives in Southern California, um, unfortunately dealing with some health issues. Uh, he's a great brother. He was a great mentor. He was a great supporter. And eventually, he was um, many, many years later after I left, he also uh, uh, left and, and came to visit me. 
and, and, and stayed, eventually stayed, and, and now lives in Southern California. The other person is my mother. She was uh, a pillar of strength. She was uh, an amazing figure in our lives, all of our lives, and, and she would not be defeated. She, uh, I remember after, you know, I can only imagine that a woman um, who's lost her husband, single mother with seven children, she rolled up her sleeves and said, by God, I'm going to make sure that every single uh, one of my children gets the education. Wow. And, and she did. And she, she, managed, she, managed, she was courageous, she was strong, and she was, she's always been my role model in right. so many ways, in the way of courage and strength that she brought to our lives. So you graduate from school, from college. What, did you, what was your degree? What did you graduate with? So obviously I loved engineering, right. and uh, so I studied engineering and uh, math because I'm, I was uh, always like numbers. And so I, uh, my degree was in civil engineering. I got I got a degree in civil engineering, and uh, in my last and um, I have to say, Charles, that it was so difficult for me to uh, to land a job. You know, my all of my classmates uh, right after the graduate graduated or even before they graduated in the last semester they were all all offered jobs right. but unfortunately you know because of uh, right. many i i can only imagine that because of who who i was right. it was not easy for me to no. find a job so i chose to uh um, start my graduate school and i did because i i felt like and you know i cannot just go um after this um, degree that I have earned to, to continue working in a pizza place. So I chose to go to the graduate school. And I, as I was in my graduate school, one of my professors uh, saw the energy and the, 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 the work ethics that I brought to, uh, to the work that I did in grad school. And he came to me, walked up to me someday and said, I have um, a friend who has a private company. And um, I'm would introduce you to him to do some part-time work for him. And I did that. I had a, a real great, wonderful college friend that we're still good friends with, I'm still good friends with. And uh, he also happened to work in the same company. So that was my introduction. Um, even, even as a graduate student, I was uh, uh, making a very modest amount of money, but I, I, at least I could do what I love to do. Right. I started working, and that was the beginning of my career in uh, working with developers and builders and really building neighborhoods and building communities. And that was your career path? That was Civil my, engineering? Civil engineering, yeah. right, yeah. So ultimately, uh, the civil engineering firm that I did worked a great, it did, did a lot of work in land development and uh, planning of neighborhoods, planning, you know, work, working for with greenfield areas and developing the city. So it was that whole process of the community building and city building that really intrigued exactly. me as I got into right. that field. That when did you first arrive in Rancho Cordova and how did that come about? Because you're in Texas still, right? right yeah. yeah. So, so I'm still in Texas and uh, so I stayed, I stayed in Texas uh, a few years after, in Austin, after, a few years after I graduated from, uh, from college. And uh, there I met a wonderful woman, a young woman, uh, who is now my wife. Right. Uh, she, uh, 
I was I had a great friend. I had a good friend, uh, and someday she he told me that her, his sister is visiting town, and uh, uh, happened to I met I met his sister, and uh, we fell in love. We uh, became great friends, and uh, and she moved to California uh-huh. to Southern California, and uh, of course uh, that. Uh, I, I always say that love is what brought me to California. Right. <laughs> and what year would that have been? That was in 1986. 1986? 1986. 1986. Uh, started looking for some engineering work, and I uh, found a job with a consulting firm in San Jose area, in Redwood City. So I took the job, and uh, we married. We got married in 1987, and uh, right after we got married, just within weeks, we moved to uh, San Jose area and uh, started a new job in the Bay Area. I was at that job for about uh, four and a half, close to five years, and uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, this this whole notion of uh, and, and the work I did in, in with the company, the consulting firm in uh, the Bay Area was also very much into the land development. So community building, city building. And uh, uh, but it was all it was all from the a developer's perspective, right. developer's side. You know, they just wanted to build a neighborhood, right. move on to the next neighborhood. And I always felt that there's a piece that's missing. You know, I want to see the long game. I want to know what, you know, going beyond just building a project and moving from a project to the next project. And that's what made me interested in the public sector. And so that's when, that's when I came to the Sacramento County and uh, uh, started a job with the, with the county in, uh, uh, in engineering, with transportation, in their transportation field. And uh, and later on, um, when the city incorporated in 2003, I was one of the team members who uh, joined the city as a consultant, as a as a, not necessarily as city employees, uh, to help them form this uh, ah, new city. Okay. Right. So I, today, um, I learned an interesting fact that um, I was speaking to um, the vice mayor, Linda Budge, mm-hmm. and she referred to someone as number one. It was like secret, secret agents. <laughs> she said, yes, number one, number one. And I said, well, who's number one? <laughs> and she said, well, in the city of Rancho Cordova, we have numbers of people who started, and I found out you're number four. <laughs> yes, yeah. So you're known as number four. Okay, so that's. Uh, so what is that? What year did you start working for the city? Uh, Two thousand three. Oh, so when it incorporated? When it incorporated, right? And, yeah. And so you were a consultant, and you just became. They offered you a job. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. So so actually, I was at the time I was a county employee that we right. were brought in to help with the setting up the engineering, the public works side of things. And uh, and I was on a, my contract of work that I was supposed to do uh, was about a year long. I wanted, I committed to a year long pro- process to set up the public works department, to set up the engineering department, right. you know, uh, what, you know, build some, some uh, structure around it. 
And uh, in about a year or so, uh, in April of 2004, um, I approached my one-year anniversary and I said to the city manager at the time that I, was, I needed to go back to the mothership and I needed to move on with the, with the other work that I had to do. And at that point, I think uh, he and uh, some of my uh, wonderful council members said, no, this is not... You've got a job. We really, You'll stay. We, re we really need you to stay here. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, we have work for you to do. And what job did you have? <laughs> what was your position? Uh, so at that time, I was given the job of a city engineer okay. slash public works director. So tell us what a city engineer does. Right. So, um, you know, in with city, with city uh, development or with city building... Uh, there is, you know, there, there are really two distinct par distinct parts of it. One is the planning side; the other one is the engineering side. So, hey, what it is that we want to accomplish? You know, what's the goal? What's the vision? And then uh, the engineering side. You know, now how do we implement this? How do we build it? How do we actually build streets and and sewer lines and water lines and oh, you know the okay. the the infrastructure that we need to put in place to support the new city. Uh, so, so that uh, was I was in charge of the public works, and I was in charge of the uh, uh, putting that infrastructure in place and working. You know, with a growing city, we have we had development going on, and I had to work with the developers to really plan that future infrastructure. Uh, what's what? What do we need? You know, what uh, what would be the phasing? Where would the water come from? Where would the you know the, in terms of the uh, the road network, what kind of road network we need to have to support this. Where, where do we put our bike trails and uh, walking trails and things wow, like that? Wow, okay. So you were instrumental in, in making Rancho Cordova what it is today. Uh, I hope, I think so. I mean, you I were part and of I the hope team, for sure. <laughs> right. The yeah. early team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, you know, I think it was through the vision and through the hard work of many people, many dedicated people. Uh, we had... At that time, you know, the uh, the first group of the city council members, uh, very dedicated to this community, that uh, they had this uh, vision of, of building this wonderful community. And we had a very dedicated group of team staff who uh, came together and said, we, how do we support and help each other to, to bring this dream into reality? So while you're working and you're building the city, did you have your eye on the top job, the city manager job, or did that just come about later? And we'll talk about that. But right. at that point, were you thinking, one day I'm going to be that person? Well, you know, the city manager at the time, great friend, great mentor, and uh, I always uh, you know, appreciate and admire, you know, the not only the work he did, but also, you know, the role that he played in uh, managing from a, from a higher higher level, you know, the future of the city, the growth of the city. So, so I aspired, but I I think you know I was so uh, probably focused and f uh, on doing what you know I love to do and 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 building a city that I wasn't really thinking too. You didn't much have about. time to think I didn't about have time ambition. Too much time. Exactly. No, right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I read that you have a quote. Your favorite that Ran the city of Rancho Cordova is your favorite startup. Is that a correct quote? <laughs> that is yeah. correct, right. What, what, tell the listeners what you mean by that. You know, when we came up, I remember when we started the city, you know, you talked about uh, the numbers, you know, the, we, it was about five or six of us, right, that we came together, we started, I remember meeting at the city hall, 
uh, there was a very small building that the fire district had, uh, Sac Metro Fire, had given us on a temporary basis to set up our city right. city hall. And I remember, you know, walking into the into the building, a relatively small building, had no carpet. You know, we had, uh, and we we sat down and said, okay, now we need to roll up the sleeves and start the work. And, and City Hall was where it is today? No, it's no, no, no it was not. Where no, was it? it? It it was right on White Rock Road at Gold Canal. Okay. Yeah, not too far away from where the City Hall is today, uh, but it was a, a small building that uh, belonged to the to the to the fire district. And I remember our first job was okay. Let's make sure we have carpet for this place. Make sure you know we have we need somebody needs to get coffee, and right. we also need a janitorial service. Right, so right. <laughs> our bathrooms. The have important to be clean. things first. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it was just the energy and enthusiasm of uh, it. Really was like a startup. You yeah. know, we had uh, we had the energy, we had the enthusiasm. You know, this is uh, and and it was unknown. I mean, this was there were so many. Uh, in the way of you know, not I looked around and with the team that we had, none of us had started a city before. We didn't know you know exactly what it would take, uh, but we be, we all rolled up our sleeves and uh, didn't really ask that any uh, whether this is my task or your job. You know, this is it, it wasn't. It was just everybody played a big role in developing and growing the city right. to what we are today. And eventually, of course, you did become city manager. What year was that? That was in 2015. 15. And how did right. that come about? Like, but, how does one become a city manager? Yeah, so I think in, you know, the city manager role is uh, uh, appointed. It's an appointed position. Yeah. It's the executive level position, uh, the, the CEO of the organization. Right. And is appointed by the city council. So uh, we had gone through a transition at the time, uh, our uh, first city manager um, who had left, who had retired a couple of years before that. And then uh, a new city manager came along and uh, and from outside the area who did not quite really understand or was not in alignment with the council's vision. And I remember, you know, the council felt there was a transition time for a transition. And they, they approached me and they asked me, if uh, if I wanted that role and if I would be interested in serving in that capacity. Of course, I was honored uh, that I was considered for the position and uh, took the job in, uh, started the job on an interim basis in on July 1, 2015, and was appointed as the city manager officially in November of 2015. So pro approaching seven years now. So now here we are. So now we're going to talk about all things city, Rancho Cordova. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by the CalCap Film Studios in Rancho Cordova. Video is one of the most progressive and cost-effective ways of getting your message seen and heard. It's hands down the best way to capture your audience and generate sales in today's digital world. CalCap Film Studios provides corporate, industrial, and commercial video production services that will propel your business towards success in today's digital frontier. At CalCap Film Studios, we know what you need and will inspire your audience with a message that's unique to your brand and business. For more information, call 916-706-2000 or visit www.calcapfilmstudios.com. 
And we're back with the Rancho Cordova All-American City podcast. And today we're very happy to be here with Cyrus Abar, the long-serving city manager. Before the break, we got to know who Cyrus is, where he came from. So now let's talk about all things Rancho Cordova. Rancho Cordova was awarded the All-American City Award. So what was that? What is the award? And how does a city attain it? So the city has actually re- received this award twice. twice yeah. Right. First in 2010 and the second time in 2019. Which incidentally is a great feat considering it's so young. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, not too many cities uh, have that accomplishment right. in such a short period of time. And I think it, the, the award is uh, given by the uh, uh, by an organization, uh, the, the Civic League, um, uh, bestows this honor upon cities that have undertaken certain projects and programs to improve the quality of life for their residents and involving their community in, in those improvements. So I think you know, the, the first um, award that we received in 2010 had a lot to do with the work that we had done in um, what we call creating a three-legged stool with the city of Rancho Cordova as a government entity, uh, our uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce as a business entity, and then Cordova Community Council as a nonprofit entity. And uh, the three-legged stool created an interesting and uh, very uh, effective dynamics to improve the overall quality of life in different aspects of the city. In 2019, Uh, we received the award for um, actually going to the next level, going going by involving and engaging uh, various nonprofit organizations, various members of our community with the city in uh, implementing programs and activities that touch the lives of people directly. You know, the the work that we do, you know, one one of the... Programs that we were recognized for is something that we do with uh, a, a very uh, basic grassroots exercise and effort. By it's called a mock program. It's uh, mentors and uh, mentors uh, at Cordova High School. It was a program that started by one of our long-term residents. He came to the city, requested requested some assistance to engage. Uh, members of young young um, members of our community to participate and have some mentors and some place an active role in improving their lives in doing projects and programs that they can um, in the way of sports into those way of social uh, social programs and that was one of the programs we also recognized uh, the work we do with the Sorgborn Farm, amazing, unique facility that we have in our community uh, that has done a great uh, deal of work in uh, educating on families and communities about doing farming, you know, and, and also not only helping feeding, you know, feeding the, uh, the communities, some certain members of the community, but also teaching them. That what it takes to 
uh, do the organic gardening to the to the growing to the farming so so it was the combination of some of these i'm just using that as an example that uh, really enabled us to go after this and this honor and this award and it was almost you know no uh, no hesitation with the with the group that right. received our application and said yeah, this is this is an incredible feat in the young life of the city my first experience here as i came to a council meeting when i first came here the very first council mm -hmm. meeting i attended and you were given awards i think there was a some kids from the high school were there and the police officer the school resource officer was there i remember and i remember you giving the awards and i thought all American city. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. where I've landed. <laughs> yeah. So, is there going to be a number three? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's you know we we want to uh, definitely go after the award because uh, and and the reason the reason I encourage that uh, you know maybe the time is not today maybe in in few years because it provide it gives us the energy and. Uh, to not only bring and galvanize the community around certain programs and activities that we do, I think it also provides a great education for other communities. That here's here's these are some of the things you can do right. to touch the members of your community right. and the different organizations in your community. Very nice. Today, Rancho Cordova is the Sacramento's largest um, uh, employment subcenter. It attracts 65,000 commuters, which is incredible. 65,000 people come into the city every day. How does an influx of so many daily commuters impact the city? What are the downsides and what are the benefits? There must be both, I would think. Absolutely. And yeah. Let me start with the upside because, you know, it's, first of all, having uh, that level of job uh, um, activity within the city it helps our local businesses. You know, we uh, it helps us to generate uh, revenues, sales tax revenues that we uh, we have. Uh, so, in it gives us some financial uh, support in the way that we can provide more services to the community. And of course, you know, it also the downside could be that you know, with the with you know, with sixty five thousand people. Coming to the city, you could have traffic issues. You could have, you know, the some congestion issues, and I think this was more pronounced and more difficult before the pandemic. Uh, now, after the pandemic, um, you know, many people have chosen to either work hybrid and work remotely, uh, or work, you know, flexible hours. So we're not seeing as much of as of the same impacts. But then the other downside is that you know there is a business, uh, there's a restaurant that relied on the lunch crowd, and the lunch crowd are these business uh, uh, members of this business community that came to the lunch. So uh, so that's one of the reasons that we felt some impact as people uh, after the pandemic hit and people started working remotely, and some of our small businesses were affected right. by it. Yeah. That's where, that's the reason, that's where mm -hmm. we felt like we had to step in and help with those small right. businesses. And having come here just as the pandemic started, we'll touch on the pandemic mm -hmm. in a second, right. but definitely it's devastating. But one of the things I would think, if you're attracting 65,000 plus people in the day, do they all go home at night, which then leaves a void, I guess. How, can, how do you think we can keep them here a little later to 
rather than go off, you know, use the restaurants at night, the entertainment or... Is that a challenge? Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think, you know, that, that so a few things that we could do, and right. we have done those, right. and we will continue doing that. Uh, one is uh, building homes, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we are, you know... The, so don't some, commute, live Exactly, here. Yeah. you know, and, and fr- one of the reasons that many of these people came to work here in Rancho Cordova and that went home, because we had gone for several decades without building a single home, new right. home in Rancho Cordova. So after the incorporation, we had brand new communities uh, that were being built. And now many of these workers are able to stay in town, buy a home, rent a house, rent an apartment, and be able to stay stay in Rancho Cordova. The other thing is what you uh, said, you know, create some entertainment. Right. That's why we felt, you know, as... Uh, 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 creative as it's, uh, you know, it was one of our staff members came up, hey, well, let's create a barrel district. Right. And, uh, and we did that. And, right. Uh, and, and, with and a that, very successful barrel A very district. successful yeah. one. Where, and it uh, really has, especially, you know, the, the younger generation, right. people who want to stick around and, and do some work in the community or, or some entertain the community. Um, the work you do, you do, you know, what uh, the, the, cap, the, cap, the, the, the film office does in creating shows, in right. creating venues, in right. having, having the activities. So entertainment is obviously a big part of it. And I think, you know, this is an evolution. That's why we're thinking about a big project to build on Folsom Boulevard to actually build a performance right. arts center. Right. I touched on that earlier with mm. um, the vice mayor, but that is a, such a contentious project. I remember going to a council meeting and I thought, well, this is a slam dunk. I mean, why would nobody want this? But why is it so contentious, the the um, the the new art center? I think it was uh, somewhat also surprising to us that it uh, for the some of the members of the surrounding community, this uh, uh, was not viewed in a neg- in a positive light. A part of it was our vision was to create a very robust mixed-use center right. that could also be a model for the future growth Absolutely. along yeah. Folsom Boulevard. Yeah. You know, we wanted to demonstrate right. to the investors and to the business uh, uh, owners that this is doable. You can do this in Rancho Cordova. So, so we came up with this vision um, of a true mixed-use facility with uh, office, entertainment, uh, open space housing. and housing. Yeah. And I think the part that... Which to me sounds like a perfect exactly. development. Uh, yeah, in, in so many ways. You know, when you really talk to right. uh, the top planners and, you know... I we, mean, Los and, Angeles and have, would love something. Absolutely. I mean, it would be yeah, beautiful. It'd be a beautiful development. Absolutely. And I think this is, you know, the not only we have the, the, the vision is what the planners, you know, the best planners, the best minds have told us. This is really what it takes right. to create what we call a catalyst on Folsom Boulevard. This is not it's not only good planning, but it's also, uh, a, you know, something that could be a model for yeah, it's other city building for yeah. exactly yeah. city building being across the street from a light rail, you know, for people coming and go the Mac. The Mac, absolutely. So, so there are things that, uh, and I think you know, there, what we feel like, you know, the reason that some uh, there's been some dissatisfaction with the project, 
I don't think that is clearly understood. Right. So we have taken the time. We have met. We have had held some community meetings. We've talked and met with our community members to explain to them that what this is really all about. Right. And uh, and I think we're seeing uh, that shift of... Is uh, it? Yeah. yeah. We're seeing that, yeah, and I think good. people are really understanding. Because I think, it, personally, I think it's a great project right. and a, a great value to the city. I'm positive that this will be a an investment that will trigger other investments right. in the corridor. Maybe a movie theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the biggest issues facing any city today is the unhoused. You only need to drive around Sacramento, and you see hundreds of people now living in tents under freeways. I mean, it's tragic. Um, how is Rancho Cordova dealing with homelessness? Because I know that's a big issue. Yes, yes. And I, and Charles, as you said, this is, a, this is an issue not only in... Uh, the region in the entire state, yeah, and I and I think in so many ways uh, uh, things have to be done at the state level, at the county level, at m- local agency level to address this issue. I don't think this is an issue that can be solved by any city alone. This is this truly takes uh, the the partnership amongst uh, many many agencies, including nonprofit, including uh, the faith community. What we have done, uh, we have formed a uh, uh, what we call a homeless outreach team. And the job of the homeless outreach team is with the resources that we have that are relatively limited, right? Because we cannot, we cannot address mental health issues. No. So our goal has been to provide some uh, tools, resources, and connections with, the, with our unhoused population to connect them with the services that already exist, whether it's temporary shelter, whether it's mental health services, whether it's social services, and or in some cases, it could be connecting them with their community, with their families. We've had cases. In fact, when I was looking at the statistics and the data that I had from received from my team a few months ago, uh, they gave me statistics that of the about 250, close to 300 unhoused population that we have in Rancho Cordova, about 60 of them have been able to connect either with their families, find services, or, or find shelter. With the help of the city. With the help of the city. Wow. That's... And this is through a very um, intimate, caring involvement with these members. And at the same time, I think we also want to make sure that we understand, yes, it's, you know, it's not a crime to be homeless. Right. But it's a crime to, you know, commit things that, you know, disrupt the lives of right. your neighbors and the business owners in the community. Right. Talking about crime, when I first came to Rancho Cordova and people I knew in Sacramento, I'm coming to Rancho Cordova. Why? It's crime infested. Why would you move there? When in actual fact, Rancho Cordova is actually one of the safest cities in the region. In fact, violent crime, property crime has decreased by 61% from 2004 to 2019 when adjusted for population. Why do you think Rancho has this reputation as a dangerous city? And how do you change that perception? Absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, 
their communication experts tell us that it usually takes about seven touches or so in some cases seven years to really change the perception of a community. It is true that uh, during a period after the uh, Aerojet shut down and after the Air Force Base shut down, uh, we went through a period where unemployment was high, when the community was in flux, when we had when we were in transitional stage. And there was a decline, and unfortunately, uh, there was a decline in safety of the community, and which, re I, in, in, interestingly, which really triggered the, the uh, drive for the incorporation, that we need to become a city and we need to control our own destiny. But like you said, since we've become a city, not, not only the crime has gone down dramatically, uh, we've also, we see ourselves um, very much on par with the, the rest of the region with the, with the crime statistics. But I think it takes time to change that perception. And, and if you look at the citywide goals, one of the, uh, actually our number one goal has been to improve the image of the city. Right. So we know it takes time. We know it, take, we know it takes uh, through repetition. We have to remind everybody that, that this is not the case. In fact, you know, when you talk to the people who moved to the area, for, uh, who have moved to the area recently or have come to the city recently, they don't have that Exactly. Perception. I they, don't. Yeah. They, they don't, you know. I mean, I see it when I go back to Sacramento. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so as the city manager, what is your relationship with the Rancho Cordova Police Department and in particular with the new chief, Brandon Luke? As the city manager, do you communicate often? Do you speak often? Yes. Uh, uh, Brandon Luke is uh, an amazing individual, very accomplished, uh, very talented and, uh, and and a person with a very big heart. I, I truly enjoy working with him. He's been in that role uh, for not a, not a very long time. Uh, yes, I do work with him and I communicate with him on a daily basis. On a daily uh, basis? On a daily yeah. basis. It's, uh, you know, the utmost and the foremost priority for me is the safety and well-being of our residents and our businesses in this community. So, I do receive briefings from the uh, from the police chief uh, uh, on a very regular basis about what uh, challenges or what issues we have, what uh, what certain activities we're taking on. Uh, so it's a very strong and robust rela uh, uh, communication relationship, and and a very good team that we have, and and I work with them on a daily basis, and I see the passion that they have for the community. I yeah. see the hard work they do, and I'm very great, and I'm. Very grateful for the work they've done in this community. Yeah. So I'm just going to stop for a second. So we're, I mean, I have so many questions for you. Are you okay for time? You sure? I'm perfectly fine. Because we can do two parts. No. Because no, I have so many fine. questions. No, that, please do. No, I'm okay. perfectly fine. I just don't know, you know, if this is going to run over your, the, a lot no, of no, time. No, we, no, well, we can do podcast. two episodes oh, with you. Okay. Two, right. two shows. Okay. All right. You're okay for batteries and all that stuff? Yeah. Talking of the police, the Rancho Police Department recently formed a mobile crisis support team operating in the city of Rancho. What is this unit and what input did the city have when the unit was formed? This is really in the aftermath of uh, some of the unfortunate incidents that we had nationwide. And, uh, and the focus that 
unfortunately, our police departments are dealing uh, in uh, with some uncertain mental health issues with some of the touches that they make to the in uh, in their day-to-day activities. W- and one of, you know, we really felt like it was, you know, if somebody is struggling with mental health and a, a 911 call is made, a young police officer may not be well equipped to no, deal with that issue. Absolutely not. And that yeah. is not, you see that many examples of this. And it's really not practical for us to train in a short amount of time every police officer about, you know, the complications, you know, the people go through to four years of university to to, to learn how to work with uh, uh, men, uh, with mental illness. So we felt like this is in working with the sheriff's office and in working with uh, who's a service provider to us uh, for, uh, for police services, we felt like this idea of a, the mobile uh, crisis unit can help with that first touch being somebody who's trained in mental health and uh, somebody who, who can actually make the first contact. So they're not police officers. They're not police officers, necessarily okay. police officers. And Do they uh, go with police officers? They go with police right. officers. But so they make the initial contact. Absolutely. I so, see. So, and they can make a quick assessment. You know, is this person dealing with some serious mental health issues? Right. And some intervention is needed. Right. Before the police, you know, take them, uh, right. the action that they need, the appropriate action that they need to take. So, you know, it has more it been effective. Yeah. Uh, we have not. It's been effective? It has been yeah. effective, yes. I, I uh, like what they do. I think they, uh, uh, they can preempt some of the uh, negative encounters that are po- or potentially um, de-escalate the situation. So that was our goal, and I think that goal has been accomplished. So switching gears, 2020, most of 2021, everybody faced COVID-19, the pandemic, a very difficult time for everyone, especially the elderly and the immune compromised who were more secluded than most people. And I happen to know firsthand that the city um, of Rancho stepped right up to the plate, immediately provided services to these groups, um, the city partnered with local restaurants providing meals that I think was a great idea because not only did it help the homebound, but it also helped the restaurant with the city picking up the tab. Um, can you talk a little about the pandemic and how the city dealt with it and the challenges? And I know we could be here all day with that. <laughs> yeah, how much time do we have? Right, right? so just very briefly. <laughs> right, yeah, I think, you know, the... The pandemic, you know, you we've heard the word unprecedented, and it, it, is, it is so true because uh, there were so many uh, changes in our, the lives of our community members that even even as an, a public agency, we had to pivot in so many ways to, to respond and to deal with it. The example you gave is exactly what, you know, the, what we experienced, that we have some elderly members of our community who are isolated, all of a sudden, you know, they don't have, they potentially may not even have access to food, internet, yeah. or, or food, yeah. or, or, uh, or uh, transportation. Right. So we felt like we needed to jump in, and through the help of the faith community, to find, you know, please, you know, we, we reached out to them and say, please tell us about the members of your congregation that may need some assistance and right. some support during these difficult times. 
a nonprofit organization stepped in and helped us. And uh, so we were, and unfortunately at that time, uh, through the, some of the assistance we received from federal government and state government, uh, we started this program that's called Great Plates. At the same time, we also felt like our special orders restaurants that relied on the crowd that came to work in Rancho Cordova for lunchtime. They lost their business. So we felt like this is something that we could do both right. to help with both A sides. true quid pro quo. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so it was a combination of using some of the funds that we received from the state. Um, and we put in some of our own funds, helping the restaurants provide direct support to our, uh, our families and elderly, especially elderly and senior citizens, that we would actually have our staff members go pick up the food at a restaurant, put it in their cars, and knock on somebody's right. door and say, this is your lunch, right. this is your dinner, right. and, and this is the food. I saw that first time we right. filmed the 2020 right. mayor's um, state of the city, right. and we followed right. them doing just that. And I certainly remember the gratitude of a particular person that house we went to mm-hmm. who had never left the house. Yes. It was yeah. incredible. Um, what is the state of business today as we get out from under the pandemic? Is it getting back to normal? It, it is, but I think it's a new normal. Yeah. I, I've always said that this is not, this is a new normal that we have to get used to. I think in, uh, as, some segments of our, our business uh, would have to change probably in, in forever. You know, if uh, you see the, this whole concept of some, some businesses that are doing hybrid work, uh, working from home. And uh, we also see that uh, certain businesses that uh, now have lost a segment of our, our, their customers. So what we tried to do and what we felt it was necessary to do uh, we wanted to initiate and start a uh, business recovery program. Um, our residents uh, supported us in implementing a, a half-cent sales tax in 2020. We've u- been using those funds to, a portion of uh, those funds, to help our businesses. Right. So we have uh, not only given grants, we've also been able to assist them with loans. We right. have been able to you know, work with them to... Uh, uh, to re- basically restart right. and reestablish re- themselves. Recover. Recover from, yeah. from what happened. The other thing that we've noticed, and I think you, you probably have experienced this as well, if you go to a restaurant today, a portion of the restaurant is shut down because they don't have enough workers. Right. So, so you know, there is a workforce crisis right. in America, almost in all sectors. Everywhere, yeah. Everywhere, yeah. right? both professional and, and technical. So what we did, we also invested and worked with a, a number of uh, uh, organizations and nonprofit entities to do workforce development. And this is what, uh, and it's a series of programs that we have implement, implemented. Some of them are what we call upscaling. So if somebody had a certain skill in in some areas, but they wanted to really go to a bigger job, to a higher job, and they wanted to get the gain the skills. We, the city, are actually paying for that program, for that training, for this member, for a member of our community to be able to get a higher paying job. Wow. Okay. A very unique. That's a new program? This is a new program. This is a new program. We call it the Workforce Development Program. And to date, we have invested well over a million dollars in that program. So if someone wants to 
be involved? What are, what is the criteria? How does like I want to do that? What do I need to do? So uh, you need to be a resident right. uh, of the city, yeah. and uh, we have a variety of uh, or entities and companies that are helping us with this effort. Some focus on digital uh-huh. um, up- upscaling. Some work on different aspects of the job training. We, we hope to expand that, and we want to expand that to some trades as well. You know, if you know, somebody wanted to become an electrician. And, the, and so, so it's uh, been twofold. The, the work we've done is uh, part of it has been in, in partnership with Folsom Lake College. So we have a Promise program. You may have heard the Promise program. What that program is doing, we have partnered with Folsom Lake College, and we pay the first two years of college for any high school students, for anybody that graduates from from high school in Rancho Cordova, and they want to attend college. So our community college at Folsom Lake is at no cost for the first two wow. years for any member of our community. Well, that'll certainly encourage people to move here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's another way that we really want to show that how we're here to serve our community. So that's one aspect of it. And we have also recently expanded this program beyond the high school students to our veterans. So there are veterans in the community that want to attend uh, Folsom Lake College, they can get their first two years of year wow. college okay. free of tuition. Very nice. And the other, and now we're working on expanding that to trade schools. So if we wanted somebody wanted a member, you know, let's say you're a high school graduate, but you're you don't you're not necessarily going to college, Folsom Lake College. You want to go become a great welder. So we want to work with uh, trade schools to give to allow you to go and, and get the certificate in welding. The Measure H Community Investment Fund. So that's a program where the city provides grants to individuals, organizations, businesses who are interested in enhancing the Rancho Cordova community. And that's through arts, culture, arts, culture, history, entertainment, and so on. How did this program come about and how successful has it been? And I kind of know the answer to that, but, <laughs> right. but maybe not everybody does. Of course, yeah. I, so this was, you know, when... Um, we passed the Measure H right. in 2014. We held a series of uh, community meetings, and we received input from the members of our community. How would you like the funds to be expanded? And uh, the council felt very strongly uh, the vision. The vision of the council was to uh, make a portion of these funds available to members of our community, to nonprofit organizations, to uh, uh, to to individuals. To, for enhancing the quality of life for our community. So like you said, you know, the, uh, we uh, support anything from you know, arts and history and culture. We support entertainment. We support sports activities. We support educational programs. So it, it's a wide variety of programs that we have undertaken and the funding that we make available to our organizations and individuals. And I think the... Uh, the work that we've done and the the, the results that we have seen speak for Good. themselves. Yeah. Extremely positive. And, and it's and an powerful. ongoing program for and the foreseeable an, future. It is foreseeable future. Yeah. It would be, on, uh, be going on. So here's a question that fascinates me. As a city manager, what is your relationship with, in particular, the city of Sacramento? Do you speak to the Sacramento city manager and other city managers? Do you all speak to each other? 
swap ideas, problems, etc. Does that happen? Absolutely. You know, yeah. In fact, you know, this is. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to take credit for this, but but this is something an idea that I came up with because. Uh, uh, during the pandemic, you know, we have we have professional organizations. We have uh, probably uh, some uh, community meetings that we end up we we get together and we see each other. But during the pandemic, in twenty twenty, uh, we all were facing some new challenges that we had never experienced before. So I reached out to my colleagues, um, the city managers in the Sacramento County, and I also reached out to the county executive, and I said. Do you, I mean, with the, with the advent of Zoom and being able to meet online, uh, would you like to, for us to have a weekly meeting? And we did. You we did? started that meeting, wow. and I organized it, and I helped, <clears throat> and we set, uh, set this up, and we got together. We've been talking about, you know, so we got together on a weekly basis for about an hour, and um, uh, sometimes even longer to talk about the challenges we're Very facing nice, and yeah. learning from each other. Yeah. You know, sharing what yeah. what is going on, lessons learned. You know, what how can I use your experience? And uh, and not only through that, not only we've developed a very strong relationship where we can now b- text basically each text each other and send yeah. a message and say, I am dealing with X, Y, and Z. How how would you say what do you, any thoughts or suggestions? Right, and we're here to help each other. We have a very strong, robust relationship. After the pandemic and recently, we've changed that to a bi-weekly meeting. In fact, our meeting was yesterday. We still meet and on on uh, um, on a bi-weekly basis and and share ideas and thoughts and. Uh, and, and really experiences. Well, to me, it's very logical. I mean, police departments right. talk to each other right. to share intelligence information, so it stands to reason mm-hmm. the same thing. Right. <clears throat> As a follow-up to that, what relationship do you have with state government? Do you talk to people at the state? Uh, on and off. I think yeah. it, it depends on the programs and it depends on you know the work we do. So give you an example. We, uh, we built a... Uh, uh, housing uh, affordable housing or, or homeless for for our homeless veterans <coughs> at Mather Veterans Village very successful award winning and through that process we had to receive uh, state assistance with, uh, in so many ways right. and uh, uh, so we have uh, we're very fortunate that we have one of our former council members uh, uh, who is an assemblyman now assemblyman Ken, right. Ken Cooley uh, we have very clo- close connection to his office. And uh, and we also, so with the various departments at, at state, uh, we work with them okay. on, on specific projects. Right. You know, our public works department has very close connection to Caltrans, uh, the, uh, the state's department of transportation, not only on f- some funding support, but also some coordination with the work that do we do that affects their region. So another question, which is fascinating mm-hmm. to me anyway, mm-hmm. what is or what should the relationship of a city manager be with the mayor and city council? Because they're elected and you're appointed. They're the ones that appoint you. So you're their boss. They're your boss. How does it work? Or how should it work? <laughs> so I, I think, you know, I, I say uh, how it should work. And I'm also want, I also want to add to say I'm very fortunate that it is actually the way it is. Yeah. I think the relationship with between the city manager and council should be collab- collaborative. Yeah. And it should be based on mutual respect and it should be tr- and it should be based on full trust. Yeah. 
And I'm very fortunate to sit down here today and say I have all of that. I yeah. think it's, uh, you know, I communicate very often with the council members. I communicate on, on uh, tough issues. I provide recommendations or advice. I listen to their recommendations and advice. And these are some very, very dedicated people yeah. who work for this community, yep. tirelessly work agree. for this community. And I'm, I'm very grateful that, yeah. uh, that they provide their vision and they provide their input in, in helping me be successful in what I do. So as we get to the end here, before we get to our lightning round of fun questions, sure. what's next and exciting for Rancho Cordova? We have the new community center we've already spoken about. Right. Um, what else is new and exciting? Just two or three quick ones. Of course, you know yeah. I think you know what I like to say is uh, we have a youth center that's yeah, coming. Yeah, the youth center at the end yeah. of the year, right? The youth center actually would be um, we we hope to have the groundbreaking in October. October. Yeah, so the ribbon cutting, I should say, yeah. not the groundbreaking. Yeah, the, the, the ribbon cutting yeah. will be in October, and we also have you know as part of our new growth. Uh, we will, uh, you know, we've broken ground on Rio del Oro, if you know where uh, yeah. Costco is, yeah. it's just yeah. east of Costco. That area will have a regional park that's about over 120 yeah. acres. So I heard, actually, I was there when they broke ground. I think you were there also. Yes. Yeah. And one of the statistics that it's actually, that footprint is bigger than downtown Sacramento. Is it that is, correct? yeah, that is. It's going to have two parks, another high school, high so another school. whole town. It uh -huh. is absolutely, and I think you know it, and it can, uh, it can provide some of the amenities that we are lacking in the community. It could bring you know the, uh, to fruition some of the visions that we have, and uh, we either have run out of room or right. have you know, the, uh, or we need we need right. a new investment to make that happen. So. So very exciting. I think yeah. this is, you know, just, uh, this, I, I just am so excited about, you know, the work that we're doing yeah. in our established part of our right. community and the work that's ahead of us in, to, in, for, for the, in the growth areas. I think it would be just an amazing. And that'll be amazing. an influx for the city of Absolutely. residents. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, we always end this podcast with a fun way, with a lightning round of fun questions. Right. And here we go. So what is one word that best describes you? I would say persistent. Persistent? I never give up. I'm sure about that. <laughs> yeah, Judging I, by today's conversation, <laughs> I think that is the perfect I have you. faced many adversities yeah. in my life, and I've always uh, kept a positive outlook yeah. and, uh, and work hard on it. Yeah. it After would. talking to you today, I would definitely say that's the one. <laughs> if you can be one person for a day besides yourself, who would that be and why? You know, uh, I have an amazing uh, passion for science. science. It's just I love to read. So uh, you want to be Bill Nye? Uh, or I want to no. be Albert Einstein, right? Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm actually been uh, reading a book, uh, been read, it, finished reading a book about Albert Einstein. I really want to be for one day. Him? What was going him in his mind, you know, the day that he... Uh, is on a train and he sees this clock tower and right. burn and you know what how he came up with right, the, right, the theory right. of relativity right. you know it's just a fascinating so Albert Einstein Albert Einstein would be my choice <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve my biggest pet peeve is uh, those who focus on problems not solutions yeah that's uh, I I really would love to 
you know, if we have a problem and you don't bring this a solution or offer some solution. So if someone brings a problem to you, bring the solution. Please bring Just the don't solution. bring the problem. Don't bring the right. problem. Right. I agree. <laughs> Do you have any hidden talents? Well, I, like I said, you know, it's uh, science is my passion. I really have, uh, I would call it more of a passion than talent. I have... Uh, I have a passion for trees. You know, for I trees? Love, for trees. I wow. love. So I have, I as a hobby, I propagate trees. You do? Yes. And with my own hand, I have planted uh, 100 trees for myself, for friends in parks, in you know, different wow. places. Because uh, I, I also grow fruit, fruit trees or help friends grow fruit trees. Uh, that and also, uh, you know, I'm... I, I just go hours and hours reading or listening to podcasts about science, about space. You know, it's, those are the kind of things that really motivate me. So your hidden talent is you're a, a tree grower. <laughs> I'm a tree grower. Maybe I'm a tree hugger, right? Right. <laughs> what project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? I think the the project that we talked about, the community center on and the meals project, because. Uh, I really feel like it, that project could be transformational. Absolutely. For this in, in so yeah. many ways. Because yeah. uh, we have, when I look back, we've invested a great deal of funding on Folsom Boulevard. And, uh, and this, I think, will trigger private investment, right. which is something that we yeah. desperately need to go to the next right. level. And finally, what is your favorite restaurant in Rancho Cordova? My favorite restaurant is uh, Soho Sushi. I really like, yeah. I like sushi, and I go to Soho Sushi yeah. a lot. But, right across uh, from but, your office. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Walking distance. But right. no, I have I have a few favorites. Yeah. I, uh, but I also, you know, Brookfields is a, I love yeah. the environment in Brookfields. I go there for breakfast at times. I've realized that when you talk to city leaders, that is not a fair question. <laughs> Well, that's about all we have time for. Mr. City Manager, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy and you've given us a lot of your time. Thank you for being the first guest on this new podcast, the Rancho Cordova All-American City Podcast. And until next time, thank you. Thank you. And it's a great honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you.